Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of On the Mark with Mark Carmen, the greatest player in the history of Iowa basketball, took them to their only Final Four, 24 years in the NBA with the Los Angeles Lakers as a player, as a scout, as an assistant general manager, stories about Kobe Bryant and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Ronnie Lester on the podcast today. Also, a tribute to Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. On the Mark with Mark Harmon starts right now. One of my heroes, Ronnie Lester, coming up on the podcast, but we do start with one of the greatest sporting events that you will ever see. Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, the men's final at Wimbledon. I was glued to my couch. I had White Sox pregame yesterday. I thought I was going to blow the pregame show, uh, but it did work out for me. Great show. Want that on the record. But there it was. And I got the text from you, Ethan Blumenthal. Welcome to uh, your, your Monday podcast. That was that was epic. That was awesome. I know it was tough for you, though. Emotions, uh, at the end, you, you kind of felt like somebody killed your dog. It, it was rough. It was really, really rough. Uh, first of all, I have a huge, um, I have a huge gripe uh, with ESPN, okay, because I had to stream stream this okay and for whatever reason when you try to stream stuff on espn everything sucks so i was trying to had like some like janky stream from some like you know site in india or something like that so i was doing that for a while and then that shut down on me right in the fifth set and so i watched the tie break i had a friend uh was watching it on their tv and we were facetiming with them so i was watching it on this little tiny um iphone but not even an iphone just the iphone looking at uh, a tv and that's how i had to watch the tie break so espn get your shit figured out um because that was a shitty way for me to end a four hour or five hour you know w- watching wimbledon the greatest match ever so so i would like to throw in there that uh, i have mad respect for chris fowler who does a phenomenal job, and I love John McEnroe. I, to me, he's like the Charles Barkley of tennis and commentating. Not, not the same thing, but just we can't lose McEnroe, we can't lose Barkley. Sure. But Fowler, right when it ended, he just went for the kill for Fed fans. This match will go down as something that could be discussed as far who is the greatest player of all time. Novak's getting this, you know, one more. Fed didn't get it. This could have huge impact. I'm like, hey, settle down, Fowler. Let let a let a Fed fan just 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 handle the fact that you just lost a match where you had two match points. But he went right for the kill. Also, you know, in terms of the GOAT conversation, Fed is 37, Novak's 32, I believe. Which is exactly what John McEnroe said. Right. Hey, yo, like, look, it's a huge edge here for right. a 37-year-old, right. or 32-year-old playing a 37-year-old. Right. But when he, I, I, when when Fed was up uh, break 8-7, I think it was in the in the fifth. Sure. You know, and then he he had it all on his racket to serve to, serve to win it. I mean, it was, that was crushing. 
that that hurt a lot. Forty fifteen. <laughs> that just his approach. Was, his approach at forty thirty was <sighs> Carmen esque. Uh, just <laughs> when, I mean, it's short ball to the forehand. You're going against one of the greatest players of all time. Of course, and he's going to hit the cross court pass. And know? I think to uh, I think and he hit two aces before to get there. And then we're all thinking like, just you know, just one more, one more ace, man. That's it. That's all. Just you've done that before. So um, I came up with a little multiple choice question for you based on this. Okay, of course. This you was did. rough. You know, um, this was rough for Federer. So here's here's the multiple choice, okay? Losing Wimbledon in a fifth set tie break, 13-12, okay, mm-hmm. uh, is most comparable to, all right, now we got uh, five choices here, okay? Yeah. So, so to think about it, okay? A, getting stood up at the altar the same day you find out you're adopted. Okay. What? Let, let, so I'm hold on a second. I'm getting married and I just got. I'm getting stood up and I found out that yeah. I adopted all at the same time. Same day, same day. Wow, okay. you could have picked one of those and that would have been rough. But <laughs> exactly. You went, went well, this is, this is what it's like losing a fifth set <laughs> five hours of Wimbledon. That's what it's like. Great. Right? So that's okay. that's option A. Okay. Option B. Um, back in the day, I'm sure you remember using having to use like Word, Microsoft Word or Word Perfect, sure. right? As opposed to like Google Docs. You remember Word yeah, Perfect? Yeah, I, st- I still probably use that. Go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> anyway, so if you're not in the 21st century, um, yeah, now you use Google Docs and everything automatically saves like constantly every second, you know? Yeah. Um, but back in the day, when you use Microsoft Word or Word Perfect, and if you didn't save it and then your computer froze, in the business world, we would just call that you're fucked, right? You just you're done, right? So if you didn't save it, you had to press save. But in Google Docs now, and if you're not using Google Docs, Carm, then we have a lot to discuss. Okay? Google Docs automatically saves. Yeah, like every second, it's constantly saving. So no, no matter way. yes, it's constantly saving. Uh, so no matter what, uh, so no matter what, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about whatever. So uh, so losing Wimbledon in a fifth set tiebreak uh, is comparable to writing a 10-page research paper about Oof. something you really hate, Oof. and then after 10 pages, you forget to save it, and the computer freezes, and you lose the whole thing. Oh, it's happened, baby. I, and, I, I, I feel the pain right now. And then, moments later, you go to the freezer to get some ice cream to console yourself, right? And your roommate has eaten all the ice cream. Oof. Right? So it's a little double whammy. We had double whammies here all around the board. Yeah, no, okay? that, That's option B. You are, right? You're sprinting out of the house to get that ice cream at exactly, that point. Exactly. Uh, option C. Uh, you're on your way to a job interview, and you're sitting in an hour of brutal bumper-to-bumper traffic, okay? Mm-hmm. I was just sitting in traffic, and it's always <laughs> terrible, okay? Only to realize after an hour that you've been going the exact opposite direction, and you need to get off and go back on the other way and sit in another hour of bumper-to-bumper traffic just to get back to where you started with. Obviously, it goes without saying, you didn't get the job. And on the same day, you also find out that you're adopted. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a rough day. Right it's, a, there. It's, it's a rough day. That's, it's a rough day. That's it's okay. a frustrating day, yep, I imagine, yep, yep. all around. All right. Yep. Okay. All right. Option D. Super Bowl Sunday. You just moved into a new place, all right? And you got a sweet new setup, you know, maybe a big projector screen, whatever. That's my setup, by the way, if you want to come over. Um, and so you're, you have all your friends over to watch the Super Bowl. And for whatever reason, your TV doesn't work. You try to stream the game and it doesn't work. And now. You just ruined Super Bowl Sunday for all of your friends, and they all hate you. Um, and uh, and then as you're walking out the door, you stub your toe and break you stub and break your toe. You can stream the Super Bowl. You can stream anything, Carmen. 2019. <laughs> you there's nothing you can't stream. If a group of kids in South Africa are are throwing a ball, you can stream that. Okay. Uh, all right, we got it. Super Bowl right. and a broken toe. Yeah. I got it. Option E, last option. Okay, you catch your girlfriend cheating on you with your best friend. And Ooh. one of your first cousins, Ooh. and on the same day, you find out 
that you're adopted. So hold on a second. <laughs> Your girlfriend's getting double teamed. That, you just, that's <laughs> that, a, I guess that that is yeah. Th- mm-hmm. That's what you laid yeah. out right there. Yeah, just making sure that I yeah. got it right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm walking in. I find out that my parents aren't my parents. We going from the top. We don't doing back. Yeah, to no, a. no, I got them all. I got okay, them all. Yeah. Got, I'm just, I'm just. Yeah. I, I think I'm. Now I want you to think about how Roger Federer felt after losing Wimbledon in a fifth set tie break after five hours and having two match points. How that? How he felt? Because <laughs> I didn't feel good. Yeah. And I had very little stakes. Well, in it. I, I, I actually think I don't want to have recency bias here, but yeah. I think I'm going with E because that is uh, yeah. <laughs> that's an image that you're never getting out of your head. You're gonna carry it now. It's a, I was gonna go A until you came to E because because you yeah, know you sit up at the altar. Sit up at the altar. Everyone's in, I mean everyone's it's embarrassing. There. That's right? that's brutal. 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 And by the way, that's uh, I think in play for me with my wedding coming up in November. I mean I wouldn't completely rule it out. Right. And so when I end up crashing that wedding, uh, when I'm crashing yeah. your wedding <laughs> and I see you standing at the altar, um, I'll I'll be the guy in the back and give you a hug. <laughs> Maybe get you some ice cream. <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd, be, okay. that'd, be, that'd be sweet. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, but I you. think I think he's the, the the toughest. Yeah, that's your best friend. That's over. That's yeah. your girlfriend. Mm. That's over. Your cousin's there. Yeah, now the family's screwed. I, right. Uh, it's a whole. It's a, it's and, a mess. And what was the other thing? Oh, and by the way, my family's not my family. I'm adopted. Right, and you're adopted. Yeah. 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 No, I'm going with E. Okay. Uh, that's that's that that was brutal. Right. Uh, it was. It was tough, man. They're showing Novak. He's eating the grass. He's celebrating. I'm sitting there watching. Put the camera on Fed. Put the camera on Fed. And then he's just sitting there. Uh, and then they give him the second place trophy, and everyone's loving him. And you're wondering if he's ever going to get back yeah. there. Tough I mean, it, moment. It could be. I mean, the thing is, we've been saying, is he ever going to get back there for years, right? Probably in like but, but 2014 see, when he won. We're like, well, this could be it. And then he won again in 2017. We're like, well, this could be it. And now he's he, back. And yeah. He could win. He could win the U.S. Open. He could. He I mean, could. Uh, and I, I would also throw in there that my buddy, uh, good old Simon, aka uh, the Animal from back in Radio Days. He's also um, Cosmic Jones on Spotify. If you want to check out his music, great, right. great look. He's the biggest Fed fan I know. Mm-hmm. And I get the FaceTime messenger call about five minutes after the match. And so I'm thinking, oh, my God, he wants to you know, get the old FaceTime going. We don't do this type of thing to just really flush this right. one out. But it was an accidental butt dial FaceTime messenger. Mm. And so I can just hear him. And he doesn't Maybe even, it was a Freudian thing. I don't think it was. Might, might have been. been Freudian. Thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and all I'm hearing is this guy in a room talking to himself. I don't know. Who, just, <laughs> just having a full. Just, uh, it's just, just, this is the worst one ever, and I, I can't believe it. And, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, dude, it's all right. And then I realize you can't hear me. I'm like, this, I'm getting a butt dial here. I'm here if you need me. And then I just hung up. But he was literally just talking to himself. So that's what, that's, that's, that's yeah. what happened yesterday for Fed fans. Yeah. What, what, what is it about Fed that he has so much love? I mean, I love him too. I mean, he's my guy. He's always been my favorite tennis player. But why? What is it about him as opposed to Nadal or Djokovic, who are also amazing? I, I think that it's with Nadal. It's too much of the ticks and the the butt picks, if you mm. will. <laughs> he, uh, yes. You know, that's he just does his, lead. The, he does lead the tour in, in butt picks. I sure. mean, I mean, McEnroe's going at him on the broadcast. I've never mm-hmm. seen anybody with this many. Like, hey man, right? Guy, good dude's got a uh, something going on. Let him, let him have his right. anxiety. Yeah. And then Novak. I mean, I appreciate all these guys, but I think Novak. There's sort, there's a little bit of an arrogance to Novak or something where you just don't trust him as much as you like. Like Federer is just this perfect, suave, incredible athlete dude that just people. I, I think people want to be as pure as Fed. Right. I well, I think to me, 
Nadal, I, I hear what, what people are saying. You know, he's got the thing where he, he pulls his, his 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 hair back behind his ears before every serve. I mean, it's like it drives it must drive him crazy. I mean, he's you know if he's right. not seeing a therapist, does, I would advise one. But he, he does the hair, he does the nose, he does the butt, the butt, everything. Yeah. Um, for Djokovic, I think to me, what's wrong with Djokovic is that he looks like a bad guy in a Liam Neeson movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. He looks like one of the guys that like Liam Neeson has to kill before he takes back his daughter or whoever got taken this time. You know? He does look like the villain too. Exactly. He looks yeah. like the villain in that yeah. guy. He like his smile is not a good one and fed just has this like he's just never said anything you know wrong in his entire life he's like all the james bonds combined in one yeah like, like fed just is, is always going to be yeah. a solution exactly. for me he's a little bit too perfect yeah like it's just too <sighs> it's it, it's it's yeah. you know it's too polo guy i don't know too too gucci but I mean, I love all those guys. I guess I think my favorite is probably Nadal because he's hmm. just uh, the pure insanity of that dude. He's, yeah. Um, and, you know, I've got my own tics and whatnot right. that, that I try to hide from people, which you can't see on the podcast, but I certainly do have. Yeah. Uh, people that know me that listen to this podcast are definitely perhaps sure. laughing no, we right got, now. We yeah. all got some stuff. We got right. some stuff. So, all right. Uh, do we miss anything here? Um, I know you always get, uh, you're looking at the computer. I feel like there's, there's Yeah, anything. no, I got, one, I got one more question for you. Oh, this, okay. is, this is the opposite, the other side of the question, okay? Yeah. And then we'll get out of here. Uh, winning Wimbledon yeah. in a fifth set tiebreaker through 2012 is most comparable to oh, boy. one of these five options. Okay? Oh, my go, God. Run through them fast, okay? No, 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 no. Take, right. Go ahead. Uh, a, uh, you meet the woman of your dreams and you know, like, this is the person I'm going to marry. You, you, you figure that out right on that day. Um, and on the same day, your parents confirm that not only are you not adopted, but they love you more than your other siblings. Wow, you're the number one. That's yeah. huge. All right, option B. Uh, you walk into Potbelly's one day, and I'm a big Potbelly guy. You a big Potbelly guy? I love Potbelly. Love Potbelly. You walk into Potbelly one day, and everyone starts clapping. A big buzzer goes off. You are the 100 millionth Potbelly customer, and for now, you get for that, you get unlimited free Potbelly for life. Free Potbelly for life. On the same day. This is not going to be the winner. On the same day. <laughs> what? Your brother, uh, your brother, who you thought disappeared two years ago, miraculously returns, and he's totally fine. Ooh, that's okay. That's nice. See? We, yeah, yeah. I do, I do love my brother. Yeah. Brothers. Uh, C. Uh, for five years, you've been suffering from what doctors have called the never-ending hiccup. Okay? You've been hiccuping straight for five years, and on this day, you finally... It stops and you never hiccup again. No more hiccups. Yeah, can you can imagine how miserable that would be to hiccup every day for five years straight? It would be terrible. Anything um, else? On the same day, your dad surprises you by saying that for your birthday present, he puts his entire life savings on Djokovic beating Federer in a fifth set Wimbledon tiebreak, and now you also have however much money your dad has in his savings account. So, so in theory, in a in a great world, I'm rich. Yeah, and I don't have the hiccups. Yeah. Okay, that's that's big. Yeah, I think All I right. might be the leader in the clubhouse right now. D, Go ahead. D. Um, have you ever seen uh, Arrested Development, the yes. TV show? You have? Yes. Okay, so one of my favorite storylines in any TV show ever is George Michael's constant love for his first cousin. Sure. Um, and I just think it's a hilarious storyline. So, uh, you are in love with your first cousin. She's in love with you, but you can't do anything because you're cousins. And then, on this day, you find out that you are actually adopted, and boom, problem solved. You're no, long you're no longer actually cousins, and you guys can live happily ever after. And on the same day, you also get your dream job. I got my dream job, uh -huh. and I'm marrying my cousin who I had <laughs> no. this crush on that I couldn't talk about, but now I... No, but you're not co really cousins. This is big. It's big. It's, uh, okay. You don't have the money component, but this yeah. is big. Option E, uh, you dream already job, have enough money for 20 lifetimes and just beat perhaps the greatest tennis player of all time in a fifth set Wimbledon tiebreaker, and there's really nothing to compare that to. You're saying that I'm Djokovic? 
compare. I'm just much. saying, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's you're, it, it you're made me think me, comparable, you know. So you're letting me be the tennis player who just won that match versus I'm gonna marry my dream woman and I'm and and I've got endless dough or right? No, I got the dream job. I got the dream job. Yeah. Obviously, you're just throwing out. Apparently, you don't like potbellies that much. I, you know, I don't like potbellies. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I do love the chicken salad, everything, but mayo. But uh, I, I, what's your order? Good shakes. They get great, good shakes. Great, great shake. Uh, uh, underrated soup. I, I don't even. Uh, the chip option is solid. Um, I'm gonna go with the dream job and and and, and the and the, and the cousin situation. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. There, you heard it here yeah. first from Carm. Because uh, uh, now I got my dream gig. Yeah. You know, money's sweet and all, but now mm-hmm. I get to do exactly what I want to do, mm-hmm. and I'm and I and I got my sweet thing going on. So uh, are that, you telling me that are you telling me that your dream job isn't sitting here right right now with me? Well, it's just close. We're yeah. we're, we're, we're working we're, there. Working we're, there. We're we're, we're, we're etching it that <laughs> yeah. that way. Sounds good. So yeah. But uh, this is good. This is good. So uh, now, I, okay, we got that. And then, um, what was my what was the negative one that I picked ten negative minutes ago one. that I can't remember? <laughs> uh, the negative one. What did you pick? Um, I picked E. E. Oh, you catch your girlfriend cheating on you. Oh with yeah, your yeah, best yeah, friend yeah, and your yeah, first cousin. Yeah, yeah, right. That one. Yeah. Oof. Oof. That's tough. It's one. rough. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. You never, never get that out of your head. So that's what Federer is going through right now. We'd like to uh, thank both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic for entertaining us uh, for five hours yesterday. Absolutely. And and, and creating great content. Absolutely. Right I mean, who who knew that we were going to come up with this one? That you were going to come up with yeah. this one specifically, uh, Ethan. Great to see you. Always a pleasure. Ronnie Lester. 24 years with the LA Lakers, got seven championship rings, uh, and the greatest player in the history of Iowa basketball. Ronnie's going to tell a story uh, coming up from the inner city of Chicago and uh, lots of stuff on a ton of NBA guys. I think you'll really enjoy it. Ronnie's just awesome. That is next on On the Mark. On the Mark, and this is a kind of a thrill for me. I was... You know, I grew up in Chicago. For people who do who don't know me, I was a huge basketball fan. My my family was always about hoops, and I would hear the name as a kid, born in the early '70s. I would hear the name Ronnie Lester all the time. And one of my brothers, good friends, went to Iowa, and I would hear about the Iowa Final Four team and how Ronnie was one of the greatest basketball players he ever saw. And then as I grew up. I got to play some basketball with Ronnie Lester, who's sitting next to me um, at the Multiplex in Chicago, which I'll explain anyway. But so, Ronnie, you're you're here with us today. Of course, you had a 25 plus career a career with the Lakers. You went to the Final Four with the Iowa Hawkeyes, and and I guess now you're 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 calling it semi-retired. I call it semi-retired. As I was saying, I worked um, 2015 was the last time I worked, so that's four years ago. Uh, I'd like to go back to work, to be honest with you, if I could find a position that uh, that suits me. But as of now, I'm content with just kind of taking it easy, traveling a little bit, visiting my family, just hanging out a little bit. I, I want to go through your entire chronology here, but just to, just that you put that out there right now, what what type of position would you be interested in? Well, the last position I had uh, when I was with the Lakers, and I worked for them for a long time. I was the assistant general manager, uh, had an office position, and, and I liked the position. Uh, there's not many of those in the league. There's only 30 teams, so there's not many of those, and they don't change over very quickly. But that's the position that I would uh, be interested in. Why not with the Chicago Bulls? I think that's perfect for you. 
I'm not sure they're looking for anyone. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But uh, okay, let, let's rewind back. Uh, you grew up uh, South Side, the projects, Comiskey Parks across the street. What, what was that like? It was, uh, you know, I lived uh, a place called Stateway Gardens, 36th Estate, across the Dan Ryan from Old Comiskey Park, and we used to see the Sox play occasionally. Uh, saw the Cubs play a lot bit more because they were on TV all the time. You'd come home from school and turn on the TV and watch the Cubs. But growing up there was uh, it was fun. We had a we had a lot of fun. Uh, there were a lot of activities to do uh, with sports, and that's how I got involved in sports. Uh, first of all, it was baseball. I played baseball for a couple years. Discovered basketball. Uh, then football, we would change with the seasons. As the season came around, football season, we played football and basketball, basketball. Discovered basketball, and I, and I liked it of the three sports and kind of stuck with it, start playing in different leagues around the city, playing for different teams, and that's how I got started in basketball. Was there anyone who you would give credit to that was kind of steering you that way? Um. Not really. I, I discovered the game. I liked the game. Uh, I, I would say, though, that the first coach I had was a guy from my junior high by the name of Michael Clark. And uh, he was a teacher, a gym teacher at my junior high. And I played for his what they call bitty basketball back then. You were 11, 12 years old. I think they call it peewee league or something now. But it was called bitty back then. And I played with his team. We'd go... Uh, to a park district where he worked after school and we'd practice every day and and he really helped me you know as far as learning the game learning the rules of the game and and being pretty advanced at an early age I'd say. Did you know at that time that I might have some talent to do something here? You know I like the game I like playing we were playing all the time you know anytime we had a chance to play uh, we were playing in different tournaments he put us in different tournaments all around the city and um, I thought I was pretty good. My teammates thought I was pretty good. And, and it was something that I wanted to to continue pursuing basketball and see how far it took me. Were you like, wake up, 6 in the morning, I'm going to go out to the court right now, dribble? Well, oh my, I had a basketball. I got a basketball for Christmas as a, I think I was about 10 or so. I would take it everywhere. I would take it to school with me before school. I'd go and play on the courts, you know, half an hour. Anytime I could get some basketball in, I would, I would play. So before school, really? Yeah, about half an hour before school. Yeah. I mean that that's that's a beautiful thing. So you're you go to Dunbar High School and you grew a little bit later, right? You were you you were kind of a a late developer as they say. Yeah, I was small. Uh, in junior high, I graduated uh, from Douglas Junior High. I think I was about 5'5" five, five, cuz my mother's about 5'5" five, five, and I used to stand back to back with her, pretend I was taller standing on my toes, you know. I was about 5'5 five, five when I went to high school, maybe 115 pounds. Right, right. I, I was 5'100 pounds as a freshman, so I, can, I, I would have killed him in 5'5, five, five, 115. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I had a growth spurt my sophomore year. After my sophomore year of high school, I grew like seven, eight inches over the summer. Uh, my knees were killing me all summer. I uh, went back to school as a junior. I was like 6'2, you know, 140 pounds or so. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I know that junior team, you had some, some studs with you, so you were, you were getting people to basketball. Yeah, we were pretty good. I think my junior year in high school, we were one of the final four teams in the city. We played at the amphitheater. We got beat by, uh, I think it was Morgan Park in the playoffs that year. 
And then senior year, you so you're going into your senior year, greatest player in Iowa basketball history, Big Ten, all that. You don't have to say that. I'll say it. Uh, and you're not being really recruited that much, right? Not really. Uh, my junior year, we had two pretty good players that got scholarships to go to college. Uh, and they left after my junior year. My senior year, I was kind of the the guy with a lot of experience. I don't think a lot of people had noticed me prior to that, but I had a big senior year, averaged like 27 points a game, that type thing, and all these schools started recruiting me all of a sudden. Uh, Iowa was the first school, in fact, to see me play in high school and started recruiting me, and I eventually ended up going to school there. I'm assuming that a kid who's living on the south side going to Dunbar High School doesn't know a whole lot about Iowa City, Iowa at that point. Not at all. I, you know, as a high school kid, I didn't know where Iowa was. It was a bordering state to Illinois, but I didn't, I didn't really know it. I didn't start researching things until they started recruiting me and some other schools started recruiting me and how far they away, away they were from home, stuff like that. But you took to it right away. You know, it took me a year, to be honest with you. Being uh, an inner-city kid growing up in Chicago, going to Iowa City, which is um, a rural farming community, basically, uh, it took me about a year to adjust to it. But after the first year, I I spent most of the summers in Iowa City. What would you say was the hardest adjustment? Yeah, it was... I would say the biggest adjustment was how slow it was compared to the city. You know, the city is hectic and you got to have your head on a swivel, that type thing. And going there, it was much more calmer, slower pace of life, which uh, which I appreciate today. <laughs> you get to Iowa and you start uh, taking off. And your, your junior year, after your junior year, you're playing on the uh, Pan American Games, right? And you've got yourself... And Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, Kevin McHale, Ralph Sampson. And this, this is before you injured your knee, correct? Right. I injured my knee my last year at Iowa, my senior year. I think it was about eight or nine games into my senior year. And uh, I had to miss probably half of, half of my senior year. I came back at the end of the year to play in the last, I think, four or five games. But here you are, you're on the court with, you know, I mean, Hall of Famer, Isaiah uh, Kevin McHale, Hall of Famer, and, and and you're playing with these guys. And what I mean, I, I will, can you remember your mindset of being on on a team like that? As you know, you're you're a junior heading into your senior year, and I'm, I'm sure you're dreaming about the NBA at that point. Uh, I was thinking about it. I almost thought I thought about coming out after my junior year, uh, but I tried out for that Pan Am team, and there were some other great players on that team. As a fact, as a matter of fact, um, Michael Brooks who played at LaSalle, Mike Woodson, who played at Indiana. Yep. Ralph Sampson was the other high school player along with Isaiah on that, on that team. Sam Clancy was a great uh, college player who didn't play in the uh, NBA. He went on to be a, an all-pro football player. That's how big and strong he was. Uh, but, yeah, it, it gave you some confidence to, to know that you could play with uh, some of the best players uh, in the country uh, because you had to try out for that team. They, they brought in probably the top 75 or 80 college players, at, underclassmen college players at that time to try out for that team. And they took, uh, I think they took 15 initially because they took a couple guys uh, to, to stand by. But it was... It was um, it was a boost to your confidence to know that you could play with those guys and make that team. 
you know, that team, it was it was an interesting summer, you know, playing for Bobby Knight, who was the coach of that team. Uh, you got kicked out in the first game against the Virgin Islands? I don't think it was the first game, but he but he got uh, he got arrested over in Puerto Rico. He he may have gotten kicked out of that game, but he got arrested in Puerto Rico at a practice site, and that's a whole another story. Uh, but uh, it was it was interesting playing for him. He was such a different coach that I that I had ever played for. Uh, you know, my high school coach was pretty mild mannered and laid back, and my college coach Lute Olson was the same way. And Bobby Knight, he's he's definitely totally different. So it was uh, an adjustment to play play for him on that team. And we should mention the assistant coach on that team was Coach K. So you got Bobby Knight, and you've got Mike Shashevsky, and and young Ronnie Lester. Yeah, it was interesting. It, it was uh, you know as you said, we won the gold medal, and that was the purpose of of going over there and, and winning the gold medal. But it, it wasn't easy because Puerto Rico, where the tournament was held, they had a pretty good team, and most of their players were college players who played in the states here. Uh, and they had a big, big crowd there, uh, so it was interesting. But it was it was fun to to play something different than playing with with your team. You know, playing against other players in, in a tournament like that and playing with other good players. It was a lot of fun. Would you say Bobby made you a better player? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I think Coach Olson made me a better player. <laughs> How do you do that? Let's let's give let's give Lute some credit. Bat, Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, you know, Coach Olsen's a class guy, um, and when he was recruiting me, he told me, um, you know, he wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't sure what, what the future would bring, but he told me that they would make me a better player and that I would get my degree at Iowa, and, and I did both. So I'm happy about that. You're not going to tell the Bobby Knight arrested story, are you, or will you? I, I can tell you a little bit about it. Uh, as I recall, it's a long ago, we a long time ago, we were going to practice at a practice site. Um, everyone had these practice sites, and we had a practice site scheduled at a certain time. And we get off the bus to go into it looked like a to me a school, a school gym to practice. And there was a, a police officer there, and we were early. We were like ten minutes early. And he wouldn't let us come in. We had to sit on the bus. And Coach Knight wasn't happy about that. <laughs> uh, we finally go in to practice, and we get in. Uh, we started practicing. He's trying to, you know, ag- address the group before the practice starts. And there was a women's team that practiced just before us, uh, I think maybe the Brazilian women's team or something. And they were getting ready to leave, and they were chatting and making a lot of noise. And Coach Knight was not into that either. So he, he tells Mike Krzyzewski yeah. to go over to the, the police officer. And this, this guy was a, a full-blooded police officer in the uh, Puerto Rican police force there. And I don't think Coach Knight knew that. And the guy came over to talk to Coach Knight, and they got into a little exchange, and they were talking about uh, the police officer said he was in charge and Coach Knight was not into that. And they kind of got into a... Uh, a little argument face-to-face, and Coach Knight took his hand and pushed the guy away from him. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the guy said, you're under arrest. I guess he had put his hands on an officer, and he tried to handcuff Coach Knight. And Coach Knight is, you know, he won't let him handcuff him. This guy calls in other security to come in to help him arrest him because 
they put him in handcuffs, took him away, and he was arrested. Was this covered at the time? I'm assuming it was. It was covered. It was covered. Coach Knight got out in time because we played a game that night. He got out in time to coach us that night. That's a different cat right there. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, you enjoyed beating Bobby then at Indiana. Yeah, uh, the story goes, before I got to Iowa, I guess they beat up on Iowa pretty good. Uh, I guess there was a game called the, uh, the, I guess they had a thing at Indiana where if Indiana scored 100 points, McDonald's provided a meal and all of this, and if they held the opponent under, I think, 50, it was a total meal. You, you know, you get a burger, fry, a Coke, and all this. And, and that was the talk of the, of the, uh, of uh, of the of the town when I went to Iowa my first year, Indiana beating us so bad, and so yeah, Indiana was one of those teams, and all the teams in Big Ten. You you didn't want to lose to to anybody really, but Indiana was one of those teams at that time. They were really really good. They had won the national championship the year before. I think they were undefeated the year before my senior year of high school. I remember watching the game where they beat Michigan in in the Final Four for the championship. But Indiana was good. They were good, and it took a while to, to for Iowa to uh, for us to be able to compete at their level. But eventually, we did. Yeah. Your senior year, uh, you were seven games in, is what it was, and you're, you're playing Dayton at the Dayton Classic, and you get you get pushed from behind, you injure your knee, and what I was reading about it is that the the people in Dayton told you that you should have surgery, and then you got back to Iowa City, and they advised you against it. So. I don't know if you could rewind back time to to that point. Is there anything different that you would have done? Yeah, I mean, you can always look back and say I would have done something different. Yeah, I got back to Iowa City and and their docs, the docs there uh, looked at me. And uh, they didn't recommend surgery. Uh, They thought I should rehab. uh, Because when I first got to Iowa, you take a physical, all athletes do. And they told me my joints, I had loose joints. You know, your elbows, your knees. And I didn't know anything about loose joints. Uh, they told me I had loose joints. So when I, when I got back, I think they knew my history better than anybody. Uh, but I remember seeing the, the Dayton doctor when I, when I hurt my knee. And he thought, he recommended that I have surgery. Uh, but the doctors there wanted to be more concerned when I got back to Iowa City and just kind of rehab it and see how it went from there. You're able to play the last couple of games, um, and then you, you guys make a run in the tournament. But you weren't 100%, right? Or were you? No, I was probably, I don't know, 70%, 75%. And you're in the Final Four. Well, here, before we get to the Final Four, I was reading um, your teammate wrote about coming back uh, during the tournament, and you guys are you're at, um, you're at the old Iowa Fieldhouse, which was a sweet place. I don't know. Do you know what story I'm about to tell here? Uh, the fans. Uh, 12:30 at night. You guys are in the training room. You think you're going home. You're all exhausted, and you come out, and and all the fans are there at 12:30 in the morning slash night. Yeah, it was unbelievable. But that's how the Iowa fans are. They're, they're some of the best fans. Very supportive. Uh, that's how they were. Uh, yeah, we we had just won in Philly. We had beat I think Syracuse and Georgetown to get to the Final Four. And we go back uh, to Iowa City. We fly back. And uh, we think we're going, you know, it's, yeah, midnight or something. We think we're going to uh, to the dorms. We're going to go back to the dorms. Everybody's beat. We've been on the, on the road on the weekend playing two tough games. 
and it's midnight. Uh, they tell us to take our bags to the uh, to the uh, locker room, and players were grumbling about that. You know, we're going to go to dorm. Is you know, it's twelve o'clock, so we take our bags to the locker room. Uh, we come out to go to the dorms, and the arena's full. People's full, and it's uh, it's a circus. And even before that. We landed at the airport, and there were all kind of people at the airport. There were people lining the road leading up to. They could everybody couldn't fit at the airport, so they were out in their cars lining up. It was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable sight. Yeah, I've seen a smile on your face right now just thinking about. It. I mean, that's that's that can never be taken away right there. Yeah, that's one of the special memories that I have. Uh, you know, that senior year and going to the Final Four kind of galvanizing and bringing the whole state together that's something you know all these years later you know this is 2019 almost 40 years later you never forget those things so you uh you're in the final four now you play in louisville daryl griffith phenomenal player you're rolling and 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 then and then you get injured you know as they say injuries are part of of sports but it was disappointing not to be able to play in that game the biggest game in Iowa basketball for a long time, you know, being in the Final Four with a chance to play for a national championship. So it was it was really depressing after, you know, getting hurt and not being able to play the rest of the way. And so now you're a senior, so we're going to the NBA now. You get drafted by Portland. You get traded to Chicago. You're in your hometown, and you're trying to come back, and you, you've got to know how that – these guys, I could compete with these dudes and, and 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 be on the level, if not better than. And you're, you know, you you can't get yourself right physically. It had to be frustrating. It was frustrating. You know, the the four years I was in Chicago, you know, I, I did everything the trainers and the doctors told me to do, and my knee was just, it didn't come back. I would play, and I'd get swelling, and you're you're working to get the swelling out. With the swelling came stiffness and soreness, and it just. It just didn't didn't come back. My knee didn't come back. And so it was disappointing. Uh, you know, I hung on as long as I could trying to, to do the right things to, to, to get healthy, but it never was the same after having, you know, a surgery here and a surgery there, and it's just never the same. So you end up in the Lakers, but before we get there, that Bulls team, so now I'm, you know, let's bring it back to me for a second. I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old. My, my favorite player growing up, I loved Orlando Woolridge. had the had the had the poster up in my room. I loved Quinton Daly, and these are, these were my guys before before Michael came around. And you were with Michael for a couple uh, about a month or two before uh, getting sent out to L.A. But I mean, those guys they, they they had some interest off the court right there. This was not a team that was you know fully focused on basketball. I don't know what how much you can share about that, but that wasn't uh, the most focused group of individuals. And and you uh, you you as far as I know you you, you know you were always on the level. So what was that like? You know, I, I say this, you know, there, we had a lot of young talent on, on those Chicago teams. Uh, but, and I've learned just the 24 years working for the Lakers and being around the league, you don't win with young talent in the NBA. You've got to have a vet, uh, veteran mix. You've got to have some veteran guys to teach those young guys, no matter how talented they are, uh, how the NBA works. Uh, and I've seen it year after year after year some really really talented kids who if they don't have the right guidance and the right veterans around them to kind of get lost 
And, and we had some young guys. Anytime young guys come in, they've been really successful. They've been high draft picks, you know, in the NBA. Guys think they can come in right away and continue to do, continue to do what they were doing in college, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, everybody can't score 20 points a game. You have to mesh as a team. You have to blend your talents together to be the best team you can be. And, you know, young guys have to learn. It's, it's a learning curve. Some guys learn pretty quickly. Others hardly ever learn. But you don't win with young talent in the NBA. That's what I tell a lot of people, no, no matter how talented you are. You get out to L.A., you're playing with Magic, you're playing with Kareem, you're playing with Worthy, you won an NBA championship. Um, you, know, you, you obviously can't play the level you want, but you're, you're on, this, you're on a, one of the greatest teams of all time in the history of the NBA. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, I think we made the playoffs one of the four years I was in Chicago. And, and we had a lot of talent, like you said, but that young talent, you know, you just don't win with it, uh, not consistently anyway. And I go from Chicago to L.A., and it was like I'm, I'm sitting there watching, like you said, Magic, Kareem, James Worthy, Michael Cooper, uh, Byron Scott was a young player. On the bench sitting beside me is Jamal Wilkes and Bob McAdoo. <laughs> it's like it's like the most talented team anywhere. You know, veteran guys who've been it, been all stars and won championships, and it was like a, a dream come true. How how good they were, uh, you know, just how efficient they were. A lot of games that we played were over after three quarters uh, because guys were just so good. Magic's been in the headlines a ton now with leaving the Lakers, and he has this the magic demeanor, and then there's the Irvin side, and people talk about leaders, and people get on LeBron for going at his teammates. Larry Bird used to kill on his teammates from the way I understand. Michael punched Steve Kerr. Magic had that side too, right? Did you see where he could? You know, the, the smile wasn't always on his face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody's like that. But but Magic was a great teammate. I mean, he cared about his teammates, and it was honest. It was genuine, and you could tell. Um, he, he would do anything for his teammates because Magic was all about winning. You know, anybody who could help him win, uh, he, he was for you. And, and he was great, you know, the two years I played with him. And, and I played against him two years at Michigan State. Uh, you know, he was a very unique player at 6'9", uh, playing the point position. Uh, and he was a true point guard. He's, he, he, he was always looking to get his teammates going. That was his thing. So you, uh, you know, and Magic talked about it, and I, I know you know this quote where I, I think you put up, I guess, 26 points in 20 minutes playing against him in, in Jenison Fieldhouse. Are you, were you guarding him that night? And, and uh, I mean, he, he called you the greatest player that, that he ever played against. I mean, that's a hell of a compliment. You know, Magic, he, he caused a lot of problems being so big. Uh, when we played Michigan State, our small forward, they put our small forward to guard Magic. And our small forward was even smaller than Magic. I think he was like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, <laughs> so he caused a lot of problems being 6'9". Uh, everybody wants to know about Kareem and try to understand him. And I don't know, you played with him. I don't know if you understand him. I know... One thing about Kareem is that he lives in his own Kareem land, correct? I mean, what what would you, if somebody said describe Kareem, what would you say? You know, a lot of people call him Moody. Uh, 
and, and he had his had his had his moments where he he was moody and uh, not real sociable. Uh, but the two years I played with the Lakers back then, you had to take commercial flights, and you had to be on the first flight leaving town if you had a game in another city. And there were some early flights, and back then, you were. There were times you had to play back to back to back, three games in a row in three different cities, which was really rough. And my seatmate on all the flights was Kareem. <laughs> and some mornings, I'm telling you, some mornings he wouldn't say a word. Other mornings, you couldn't shut him up. <laughs> he was talking and talk and talk. And a lot of times those flights were so early that all you wanted to do was to, to, to get some sleep catch a cat nap anywhere you could because you had some six o'clock flights and a lot of mornings so you had to be up at 4 30 in the morning so uh you would want to catch a cat nap anywhere you could but some mornings it just depended on the morning kareem's was he was very talkative or other mornings he wouldn't say a word <laughs> so but that's awesome when he's talking he's not talking basketball right he's talking about everything else really well you know what kareem is a very learned guy he knows if you, you broach him about any subject, he knows a little bit about everything. He, he's very, very knowledgeable about a lot of things. Uh, I think that's part of his upbringing, his parents. He was, he was always involved in all kinds of subjects. Uh, he was a great basketball player, but, you know, he's a, a worldly person, too. He knows a little bit about everything. If you were drafting, let's put on your scout hat, GM hat right now, and you got the first pick, and there's Kareem, and there's Shaq. Who are you taking? Kareem. I mean, Kareem, he's one of those guys that kind of changed the game. Uh, you know, it's, it's no slight to say, uh, you know, someone wants to take Shaq too because Shaq in his prime and his era, he's the most, I think, the most, probably the most dominant center to play the game, physically dominant center. But Kareem was just so good, you know. I think he had the, the best shot of all time, the sky hook. No one, it surprised me that no other big players come along to perfect that shot. And there's a reason he's the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and it's because of that shot. Would he, I don't know, shoot 100, 250 a day at practice, or was it just roll out of bed, I can make this? Yeah, I think he kind of rolled out of bed. He worked on that shot, you know, most of his career and perfected that shot. And at the end of his career, when I played with Kareem with the Lakers, he, he would, a lot of guys would go out, you know, an hour and a half before the game to get ready for the game to shoot. Uh, Kareem didn't have to do it. He, he was in the locker room, in his locker, getting ready for a game, usually reading the book. That's some talent right there. I mean, most, what, what, was, what was Magic's pregame like? Magic was out on the court. He was out working. He, he out most guys go out on the court to work to, you know, to, to work up a little sweat before the game. In the end of uh, Kareem's career, he, he knew exactly what he. He's such a professional. He knew exactly what he needed to do, and he was always ready to play. You know, when called on. What do you remember about playing games in Boston Garden when it's whatever 95 degrees outside? It's 110 in the arena. They they don't have air conditioning in your locker room. They did all sorts of stuff to try to get in your head. Yeah, it was, you know, what I remember was playing in, in the finals in 85 when we beat Boston in game six to win the series. And that whole series, it was, you know, June of that year, 
and it was hot. Boston Garden is one of those old, antiquated places. Uh, the locker room was really, really small. I think they had two showers, you know, that type of thing. It was like like high schoolish. Yeah. <laughs> and Boston did you no favors. Uh, you know, they'd have the heat on in the locker room. It's, it's June, you know, they, they'd have the heat on. Uh, and I think Red Albert was uh, legendary for, for pulling little, all those little stunts like that to, to get an edge or try to get an edge. What did you think of Larry Bird at the time? Uh, Larry Bird was a great player. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget about, you know, great players after they play. But Larry Bird in his time, you know, he and Magic, you know, in the 80s, it was Boston or L.A. usually playing in the finals in the 80s. Uh, I think Philly and Dr. J won one one year, but usually it was the Lakers and, and uh, the Celtics, and that was because of Larry Bird. Larry Bird was a great, great player. That was a great Sixer team, too, with Doc and Andrew Tony and Mo Cheeks, Mo Cheeks, Chicago, and Bobby Jones. Most, I mean, that was, that was a that was a squad. Uh, okay, before we get to the sky, I just want to, you. Michael comes in. You're on the Bulls. He's the number three pick out of North Carolina. Just played in the Olympics. Did you think this guy was going to go on to be Michael Jordan? You knew he was good. Yeah, you knew he was good. Uh, I don't think anybody knows what a guy can become. Even that that player himself, and, and he went went on to become a great great player, and some people say the greatest player of all time. Uh, you know, you see the talent, you see the size, you see the skill level, so you know he's going to be very good. Sure. Was he? What was? What was a young Mike like? I, respectful to uh, some? I'm assuming. Yeah, I think he was respectful, but but he was, you know, he was driven too. You know, guys come in, they've been successful, they won a championship at North Carolina, and, you know, he comes to a team that's, that, that's struggling, you know, being a high pick. And you want to, you know, lay down your mark. You, you want to become a great player, you know, at the next level. Okay, so we, we transition in, into scouting, and, uh, and eventually you, you become the assistant general manager of the Lakers. And, I mean, you're, you're with L.A. for 24 years total, that that includes uh, magic. Uh, let, let's let, let's start there. 1991, Magic's got to retire. He's going to announce the world that he's got HIV, which was completely out of left field at the time. Uh, just your your memories of, of that time period. Yeah, I mean Kareem had retired. I, I want to say a year or two before that. Right. Um, magic was you know it was his team then. I think Magic was uh, I don't know a. 10, 11-year player. You know, he had won a, an MVP, I think, uh, prior to that, one or two maybe. Uh, the Lakers were, you know, one of those teams, probably the team in the Western Conference that was at the top of the conference, you know, almost every year. And all of a sudden, yeah, Magic has to announce his retirement, and it was it was like a shock to everybody, the whole organization. It was a huge, huge shock. Um, and we go from being... Uh, perennial best team out west to to being a team struggling to make the playoffs now and we had to as a scouting department and uh, a part of putting that team together we had to rebuild that team after magic had to retire did you think at the time like oh my god magic's gonna pass away because that's that's what i that's what i would remember thinking yeah i mean back then you know to come down with with that diagnosis the hiv virus it was almost a death sentence because a lot of people were dying from it yeah. uh so yeah a lot of people initially thought that 
let's let's play it forward here. So Magic's retired. You got to build the team. What went into the trade with the Charlotte Hornets? He's trading Vladdy Divac, and you're and you're getting Kobe Bryant. That was uh, that was a home run. Yeah, I think a lot of things went into it. But but after Magic retired, we struggled, and and our thing was to 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 draft well as well as we could to to build that team up again. And we started to draft players. I want to say the years have been so long ago, so I get the years a little bit confused. But I think one year we drafted Anthony Peeler out of Missouri. Um, we drafted Eddie Jones out of Temple. We drafted Nick Van Exel out of Cincinnati, George Lynch out of Carolina. Uh, we traded for Robert Ory one year. And then the summer of 96 comes along, and, and Kobe, who's a high school player, decides to come into the draft, and we bring him in to work him out. And Jerry West, who was a GM at that time, fell in love with Kobe, fell in love with his, his size, his knowledge of the game, his skill level, uh, Jerry was trying to, after bringing him in, try to figure out a way. That, that was the guy Jerry wanted in, in, the, in the 96 draft, trying to find out a way to get him. And I think Jerry was talking to teams from 8 through 15 in the draft, if Kobe fell in those positions, that he would uh, trade a player or try to work out a deal to get Kobe. It ended up that he made a deal with Charlotte, uh, to trade Charlotte Vlade Divac for the rights to draft Kobe Bryant if Kobe was in the draft at 13. And I think Kobe almost went 8 to Jersey that year. I think they took Kerry Kittles instead. It came down to Kobe and Kerry Kittles. I, I forget who the 10th pick was. That was another hurdle that we thought Kobe may go to. And they passed on him. And when they passed on him at 10, we were pretty confident that he would go to 13, and he did. And uh, one, one of the reasons I think Jerry took a chance on Kobe, he loved Kobe, first of all, and thought he would be great, and Kobe had a great, great career, and he's you know Hall of Fame player. Uh, we traded a, a starting center in the league to get him, which was a gamble, to trade a starting center for a high school kid. And one of the reasons Jerry was pretty confident of trading Vladi, and Vladi was a good player for us, was because Shaquille O'Neal was a free agent that summer, and we pursued Shaquille and got Shaquille to come over as a free agent. I mean, if I'm Jerry West, I'm starting to smile thinking about it. We're going to go. Did they? Did you guys have a good feeling that Shaq was willing to leave Orlando at that point and come to L.A.? You, you never, you, yeah, we had a, we had a, we we heard some some room, rumblings out there that Shaq was, you know, thinking about leaving. Uh, I think if he left. Orlando, the Lakers were the only team he wanted to come to. So those rumors were out there, but you never know until, you know, until you try to pursue a guy. And Jerry pursued him pretty hard, and uh, I think Shaquille agreed to come. But what happened was, uh, remember Juwan Howard signed a, a big contract with Miami, like a $105 million contract, free agent contract with the Miami Heat? I do remember it. I, was, I thought they were crazy. That was the same summer. And Shaq had agreed to come to the Lakers for roughly the same amount. And when Juwan agreed to that amount, that put a stop to that. Shaquille said, hold on. <laughs> if this guy's getting $105 million, I think You guys went to like 135 I want to say. 
Yeah, and we had to to do that. We had to get rid of some of our, our pretty good players. Uh, George Lynch was one of those guys. Uh, Anthony Peeler was another one of those guys that we had to trade to, I want to say Vancouver, for like a second-round pick to free up more salary to, to get Shaquille to come. But we did that, and things worked out well. You know, having Kobe uh, as a young player develop and Shaquille – uh, and the other veteran players we put around those guys, we were we were pretty good again starting you know around 2000, 99, 2000. Did you uh, did you scout at Kobe in high school? I saw him play. Uh, back then, you weren't seeing a lot of high school games. You weren't going to see high school kids play. Uh, but we would go to the the big events, the McDonald's game, the Adidas camps to see the top high school players. And I was at the McDonald's game in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that year when Kobe played in the McDonald's game. And what did you think? Oh, he was good. There was a lot of good players in the game. You know, I think Mike Bibby was in that game who went to Arizona. Uh, Tim Thomas was in that game who went to Villanova and came out after a year. I think Bibby came out after two years. Uh, but, yeah, Kobe's, Kobe was a very talented kid, as, as a lot of those kids were uh, in that game. And he was process guy. I mean, Lakers would come in town. I'm covering, you know, Bulls game. It's a 11 o'clock shoot around. Team's out there for 45 minutes. They're all in the locker room. Kobe's out there shooting fadeaways. Yeah, Kobe was driven as a young player at an early age. And when he came in to work out for the Lakers, uh, Jerry brought him back for a second workout. Uh, when we, the scouts, were out, usually the scouts go out 10 days before the draft to get ready for the draft. And we came out, and he, he invited Kobe back out and had another workout and he was so at 17 I think he was 17 years old he was so advanced at 17 you know his footwork you know on the perimeter in the post he was just so advanced for a kid that young and you could tell he had put in a lot of work you have to put in a lot of work to be that good at that age what'd you learn most from being around Jerry working with Jerry Jerry is a perfectionist himself uh he, he wants perfection. Uh, he could be a hard guy to work for if you're not doing the right things and working hard enough. Uh, but he's a perfectionist. I, I enjoyed working for Jerry. We had some great times. Uh, back then, it was our, our scouting staff was pretty thin. It was two scouts, myself and Gene Tumolin. Uh In the front office, it was Jerry and Mitch Kupchak, his assistant GM. That, that was our staff, basically. Oh, that, is, that, is, that is thin. Um... I'm curious from from your standpoint, like as we maybe jump a little bit ahead here, the Lakers are not run as well, seemingly now, as as they were back then. What, what do you think is perhaps taking the the franchise on a little bit of a detour right now? Well, Dr. Buss passing away was one thing. Uh, you know, he was making all the big decisions. Uh, I think when he was around, he would, uh, especially when Jerry was there. Jerry was. Uh, a guy with a lot of knowledge about the game and talent. He hired Jerry as his GM, and he would let, let Jerry, you know, do the work. He would stay out of the way, basically. I think when Jerry retired and left and, and went on to do other things, he became the GM at Memphis and, you know, a consultant with Golden State after that. Now he's a consultant with the Clippers. But after that, I think Jerry got a little bit more involved. He has some kids that he got his kids a little bit more involved, uh, Jimmy Buss. Uh, he has a younger set of kids, too, and Jesse 
and Joey Buster involved now. So I think it was too many people, you know, kind of in the kitchen. You know, you know, you need one cook in the kitchen, as they say. They have a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now, and I think that's a problem. So Jeannie doesn't have from, I don't know, the will to... You know, Jeannie was there when I was there, and she was always there on the, the business side. She was never involved in basketball operations. I think now that she's the principal owner, she's involved in that. And she doesn't have a, a lot of expertise in that. And so she has to rely on other people when she's listening to a lot of other different people from what I understand and what I hear. She has to get a, a person in there that she trusts, a basketball person who knows what they're doing and let them do that job. You're, uh, when, when Magic left the organization, uh, I guess towards the end of this last season, were you surprised? I was not surprised. Uh, because Magic is involved in a lot of things. You know, he's involved in a lot of businesses. He's involved with, with the Dodgers. Uh, I think he's involved with the, uh, the women's team, the WNBA team, and he has various businesses around the country. So I was not totally surprised, no. You ever read his Twitter? No, I don't. <laughs> he's, he's a very – he gets knocked a lot on Twitter because he, says, he states, like, a lot of obvious things. But – I, 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 there's the magic enthusiasm that I, I just personally love. Uh, what, what do you think about the way the league right now seems to the players are taking more and more control? I mean, basically, it seems like Kawhi's like, look, uh, hey, Paul George, go go tell you go tell ownership you want you don't want to play there. And next thing you know, he's in the Clippers, and, and the players are taking seem to have more power now than they ever have. They do. The players definitely have more power now. Uh, you know, it started with the agents, you know, empowering the players. But I think it is a partnership. You know, it's 50-50 ownership and the players. And I think it should be that way. Uh, and I think if, you know, guys like LeBron, those guys that are great players, I think those guys want to win. They want to have a legacy that they can look back on and say, I won, I was a great player. And, and in today's NBA, I don't think you can win with one or two guys. you you got to have some guys that are very, very talented if you're going to win on a consistent basis. So that legacy thing, though, it gets confusing because KD, Kevin Durant, seemingly could have stayed in Golden State, win a bunch more titles, and then that's your legacy. But he then wants to be, quote-unquote, the guy. And I personally respect that. Like, I, I want to compete with whoever and lift it up and not, you know, run through the playoffs and go 16-1 and one because we're far and away the best team. All right. I agree. I, I think Durant is – I think he's a little bit different. Uh, he's a great, great player. And some people – a lot of people I talk to think he's the best player in the league. I know he's the, probably the the best scorer in the league. I mean, the guy can score so easy it's ridiculous. And, yeah, I, I think he's good enough, and, and I think he wants to prove to other people that he's good enough to, to have his own team and to carry that team to a championship. Uh, you know, when he went to Golden State, he got a lot of criticism for going to a 73-win team uh, with, with two great players on it, Clay Thompson, great shooters, Clay Thompson, Steph's a great player. Uh, and when he went there, I, I think you can just cement the trophy to Golden State. He was just the icing on the cake. But but now I think, I think he wants to take the challenge on himself to, to bring a championship himself. Him being the man to a, to a different organization. It sounds like you respect it. 
Yeah, you have to respect that. I mean, and and he's good enough. To, I think it's, he's good enough to do that. Uh, I'm interested in seeing the next two, three years what happens with him and and the Brooklyn franchise. If you were there and he had come to you and asked, "Hey, hey, Ronnie, uh, should I play in the finals here? I'm I'm a little worried, but I'm feeling better." What would you have said? You know, I think that's up to the player and and the the physician who's you know who's treating that player. If a player, and I know players want to play, you know, players don't want to sit. If they feel they're healthy enough to go out and play, they want to play. Uh, so I don't fault him for going out and, and playing again. I was I was sorry to see him go down, you know, because I, I think they'd have probably won it again, to be honest with you, if he if he stayed healthy. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Kawhi's sitting there. He's flirting with L.A., reportedly talking to Magic. And you team up with LeBron and A.D., that looks pretty good, but he decides to go to the Clippers. Uh, you've been the Lakers 24 years. Here's a guy who wants to go to L.A. and is choosing the second team in town. They weren't even the second team in town. I mean, they're like the sixth team in town. Does, it, uh, does that hurt you? or, is it, or you, what, what, what was your reaction to Kawhi's decision? I, I like it, to be honest with you. I think a player should go exactly where he wants to go. And I don't think the Lakers, you know, you took the Lakers and the Clippers. I, I think the Clippers right now, they're the better team. I mean, you look at the last six or seven years where the Lakers haven't made the playoffs. Uh, I know they've won championships, and historically they've been one of the better teams in the NBA, but they're not right now. Uh, you know, I know AD is coming with LeBron, and that gives them a chance again. But I think the Clippers are a better team. I, you know, I've watched the Clippers play last year. I watched the Lakers play last year, and I prefer to watch the Clippers play because they were a better team. They played they play good basketball. Did you... If it, did you want him to stay in Toronto, or did you have? What would you say there? Yeah, I felt bad for Toronto. Him leaving Toronto, winning a championship, uh, but he did bring him a championship, and you know he's a free agent now. And I think players should go where they want to go, uh, and I hope he ends up, uh, you know, doing good things with the Clippers. I thought it was an amazing decision. You know, I'm going where I want to be, and, I, and I'm going I'm to compete right against you across the hall. Uh, that's that's big time. All right, so as we wrap up here, um, and Ronnie, it's been phenomenal to talk to you. I really appreciate the time. Uh, one of your one of your teammates uh, back in the day was Kenny Arnold. Um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer all the way back in 1985, and uh, he recently passed away, 59 years old, uh, back in April. And the Kenny Arnold Foundation, uh, I know, is something. Uh, extremely important and uh, on your heart and, and this was a teammate of yours that you, you looked after and um, and you're going back to Iowa City to uh, to represent him coming up here. Yeah, we're going in this weekend. He has a foundation, the Kenny Arnold Foundation, that we're going in as a, a golf event over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, this coming Friday, Saturday in Storm Lake, Iowa. And, you know, eight, nine, ten of his teammates will be back there uh, some of the younger players that also play at Iowa that support Kenny and the foundation uh, will come back and uh, play in a golf event on Saturday. Uh, but, yeah, Kenny uh, was a great teammate, a great guy. Um, he passed away, like you said, in April, and his service was in uh, May. I want to say May 6th he had the service. A lot, of, a lot of his teammates, a lot of Iowa people came into Chicago for that. I was here for that. And we're just going to honor him because he, he fought, you know, so valiantly. He persevered for a lot of years, you know, with failing health. 
And I think what got him got him through all of that, Mark, was you know the support he got from his teammates, the support from the Iowa community, uh, the whole state of Iowa just supported him. He's, we've had so many fundraisers for him in the state, and people every time they just come back and support. And it just shows the great heart that the Iowa fans have. Uh, they they haven't forgotten Kenny. Uh, they don't forget. And I'm so thankful myself personally for going to to Iowa and and having the Iowa fans support them, support Kenny and and the whole athletic family there at the University of Iowa. It's a great school, great support. And uh, you know, I look back on my my four years there as you know being four of the greatest years of my life. To be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I look forward to getting together with my teammates this weekend. We always have a good time. And Kenny and his illness kind of kept us together, too. You know, guys coming back to support him and seeing him, you know, in the nursing home in Chicago here. And he's in a better place, Mark, because at the end he was suffering quite a, quite a bit. And I know he's with the Lord, and he was a, he was a guy of faith. So I know he's with the Lord, so I'm, I'm happy about that. I read one comment that he, he that he said, and what, what someone wrote as well. It says, uh, "Rather, he, he figures he drew the short straw, brain cancer, as part of God's plan because quote he has the strength and determination to keep fighting and a quiet ability to show others that they can too." I mean, that's beautiful stuff right there. Yeah, he was um, he was a man of faith. You know, you, I'd go when I was in Chicago. I'd come through and see him, like all his teammates would, and. You go in to see him. He had that huge smile. Anytime you came in to see him, he was so happy to see you. And the first thing he would ask me, uh, the first question, have you talked to any of the guys? He, he just loved his teammates. You know, that, that kept him going. Uh, he had a Bible that he had beside his, his nightstand. And sometimes you come in, he'd have that Bible in his hand. So you know he was a man of faith. So so I'm happy that uh, he's, he's not here anymore to have that, that pain and that suffering. I read one story where uh, there was some event in Iowa, and he wasn't going to be able to get there, and you you flew to Chicago and, and drove him out there. That that's that's a big time friend right there. Yeah, yeah, he he was suffering. Um, I, I think he didn't want to go into Iowa City. I think it was back in 2006 or seven. We had this big reunion. I think it was like the 25th reunion of that team, and. He had lost a lot of weight. I was surprised when I saw him. He had lost a lot of weight. He was maybe down to 120 pounds, and I, and I don't I don't think he wanted anybody to see him that way. But I talked him into going. We we loaded him into a car. Me and uh, another guy by the name of Bob Gardner, who was our senior basketball manager there when I was a freshman, who lives in Elgin here. We loaded him in the car, and we had a good time going into Iowa City and. Uh, we had a good time. Uh, I think Kenny saw on that trip how much people loved him and wanted to to make sure he was okay. Uh, they were concerned about him with his weight was down. And I, I think that kept him going for all those years, seeing people, you know, so concerned about him. It's an awesome friend, Ronnie. Um, and I, I, I obviously got to come back uh, from – from Kenny as well. So, all right, the, the Kenny Arnold Foundation, if you guys want to check it out online and make a donation, feel free. Uh, obviously, everybody would appreciate that. Uh, as, as we wrap up here, so I want to apologize to you. Uh, when I was 16, 17, maybe 18, 19 years old and, and playing at the Multiplex, you, you would come in there, which was where the, the Bulls used to practice before they built their own practice facility. 
and uh, you know I I had heard about you growing up. So I was, you know, you were like, I'm like, I'm playing with, 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 you know, with Michael Jordan right here. So I'm playing with Ryan Lester. This is unbelievable. And I would cut down the lane and not expect the basketball, not even be looking. And you hit me in the head or hit off my hands and go out of bounds. All right, catch it. I missed the layup. And, and so I just personally want to apologize for costing that, that <laughs> costing you some easy buckets where I didn't even know I was open. And you had that Ronnie Lester vision where you would just hit me, and eventually I started, you know, I think maybe making a making a bucket or two to help help you out. But uh, guys would go at you; they'd try to take down the NBA guy, and, and you you you'd, you'd have to put them in their place. It's always fun to play, you know. I I would play the day if I could, you know, just competing. You you grow up playing, and it's it becomes a part of you, you know, and and you love playing. You play anywhere, any any time. Yeah, there was a guy by the name of Murph who would try to go at you, and, and you, you hit fadeaways on him to, to win the game. And I'd be like, I would piece person. They're like, get. I, I I would take pride in you making that shot. You remember that, right? I'm I'm, I'm seeing a little smile here. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun playing. It's, it's always fun. You get on the court and play. It's always fun for me. You can't play now, huh? This, you're still. You look like you could run a marathon right now, Ronnie Lester. You know, I go to the gym three times a week just to to stay in shape. But nope. basketball is a young man's game, as they say. Well, I, hey, I hope uh, I hope an NBA position opens up if you want it, and uh, I appreciate you talking about Kenny and your entire career and taking time, and it was a true pleasure to have you on On the Mark. Yeah, great seeing you, Mark. My final thoughts are about Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Fed, arguably the greatest player of all time, Novak has a chance to pass him someday, and he's certainly in the top five himself right now. But this was an incredible match at the greatest venue in tennis. I love the U.S. Open. I love the French Open. I even love the Australian Open. But Wimbledon, it's just different. The grass courts, the feeling of just time standing still. And here they are in the fifth set. And I get it. It was almost five hours. You can't ask guys to play forever. But do we not all feel cheated by a tiebreaker at 12-12, which can go any which way and last all of three, four, five minutes? That is not the way a match with two of the greatest of all time should have ended. I don't care if they had played five hours. I don't care if they had played six hours. I found myself rooting for the underdog when Novak was down and Fed had two Match points, I was rooting for Djokovic to come back and keep the match going because I love watching tennis. And then when Fed got down, I was hoping he would somehow come back, especially in the tiebreaker. That could have gone back and forth all day as far as I was concerned. But a true champion in that moment, it can't be decided by a tiebreaker. It has to be win by two. Even if they suspend play, and play the next day, which they now don't have to because you've got the roof and lights at Wimbledon. But it shouldn't have ended in a tiebreaker. Tennis, you're better than that. Wimbledon, you're better than that. I think they put in 12-12 because they thought it probably will never get to that place. Change the rule. Make it 30-30. At 30-30, when they're about to drop dead, okay. But at 12-12, there was plenty in the tank. And us, as tennis fans, we were gypped of seeing how that truly would have played out if there wasn't a tiebreaker in the fifth set at Wimbledon at 12-12. How does that make any sense? 
12-12. Now we'll play a tiebreaker. No. Win by two. Thanks for checking out On The Mark. Subscribe, rate, give a tell a friend. Buy some gear. Swag.fansided.com. Get yourself a hoodie. Get yourself a sweatshirt. Get yourself a coffee mug. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. We'll see you next week. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.